Hi, a warm welcome to our latest generation podcast. It's great to have you all here, whether you're viewing us or whether you're listening in the car. Um, my guest today is an old friend of mine, Kenneth Ferguson. Kenneth uh, just now is, uh, I, I don't know what his job description is, he's an independent charity consultant. I always think consultant is a great job description. Kenneth, welcome. Thank you, David. Nice to be with you. Okay, can you just tell us, uh, I mean, independent charity consultant is a really interesting thing, but what sort of stuff do you do these days and and who do you work with? Well, my background is I was a chartered accountant for my sins, um, but I found that too exciting, so I decided to look for other things. Um, I've got quite a varied background and uh, I've been in... uh, the profession, been in the chartered, chartered accountancy profession. I've also been in academia, been in the civil service. So I've got lots of different kind of experiences, been in business. Um, but uh, over the last 10 years, I've been in charitable grant making. And that's been uh, my main sort of uh, focus. We've been looking at kind of philanthropic grant making. So assessing applications about who do we work with, who do we fund, and really, really rewarding area to be in. Uh, but recently, and most of or some of your readers or some of your listeners may be aware, um, I had a, a change of career and not by choice, but uh, through falling out, uh, basically because of my Christian views uh, with my previous employer, the Robertson Trust. And so I, I found myself in a situation of what do I do? And God is good. God has been very good. And he opened three really good doors for me and didn't need to apply. The people came to me and said, Kenneth, are you at a loose end? Would you like uh, to work with us? So I work uh, for two different charitable foundations. One of them is the Vardy Foundation, and uh, that's Sir Peter Vardy. And the other is the uh, McClellan Foundation of Chattanooga, which is a very large international Christian funder who've been uh, coming to Scotland, working in Scotland, but I'm helping them develop that work in terms of the grant making. Uh, And both with a focus on Christian grant making, which is really rewarding and a great area to work with. The other area, a bit different again, and that's with uh, Premier Christian Radio and helping them develop their work in Scotland. Uh, They were very aware that they they were perceived as being very London-centric, although being a national broadcaster and media trust. And therefore, they wanted to try and develop their work in Scotland. And I've been uh, very privileged and delighted to, to be involved in, in helping develop that work. So three different hats, uh, but they all keep me very busy. Yeah, that, that's a great story. And to our listeners, if you want to find the backstory, just uh, Google Kenneth Ferguson, the Robertson Trust, and, and there'll be some reading material there for, for you. And go, for the go to the Christian Institute. Go to the Christian Institute website. Really, really good coverage of it. The Christian Institute have been fantastic in terms of supporting me during this battle. Yeah, the Christian Institute have been so good in in these public square issues and in your situation and other situations as well. There's one just now involving one of our own congregations in Sterling Free Church, of which you are also, by happy coincidence, an elder. Uh, Kenneth, tell us a little bit about your background. I'm really interested where where you were brought up and how you became a Christian. Thank you. Well, I had the privilege of being brought up in a Christian uh, house. Uh, Both my parents uh, are Christians. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents were all Christians and were all Baptists. And uh, so I was brought up... Isn't it interesting how covenant faithfulness goes down the generations? So maybe us Presbyterians have got it right after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's been very much the case. And so that was a great 
world's being brought, brought up that way. I suppose as a young person that in some time I look back, or at the time, it didn't feel like a privilege. At times it felt like a hardship where every Sunday we go, you know, and it was uh, Sunday service in the morning. Then there was Bible class after church, and then there was the evening service. And, you know, that felt like a whole Sunday kind of taken up as a young person growing up in that but I would say that I was uh, touched by God and I was touched by God at different times in my, my young life. And I remember being touched really quite uh, significantly when I was about eight or nine and really feeling that God was real. And then kind of drifting away from it, I went into my teens and kind of, I suppose, really quite went quite far away from it. And although I still went to church, but I kind of didn't really want to do it. And uh, anyway, went and uh, when I was about 15, I started uh, going to uh, a youth fellowship in Dumblain because I was brought up in Dumblain. And uh, I started going there, not for the church that I went to, but uh, it was a local Church of Scotland. And they had a, a, youth, a youth worker there. Uh, and some people may know Duncan Strathdee. And uh, he, uh, he was the youth worker there. And I was just very influenced by him, uh, very influenced by the the depth of his faith and by the realness of God in his life. And that really affected me. And I really kind of went on a journey then to find out, well, who is this? And I really recommitted my life in a significant way. And I really can, I can remember that night very clearly. And I remember reading John 14 after it, you know, about set your troubled heart at rest, trust in me. And it just really resonated with me, went deep into my into my heart. And just from then on, it was kind of like serious business. And uh, yeah, so I would say that that was the point uh, when I really kind of committed my life. And uh, Duncan was great, uh, really helped me in terms of my journey uh, for those three years when I was still at home before I went off to university. And uh, yeah, I really kind of, um, yes, yeah, so it gave a good foundation for, for starting the Christian walk. And then on to university after that. Yeah, you went to university in Edinburgh, which doesn't make you, doesn't make a bad person. <laughs> I think it makes you a better person. <laughs> well, you know, what, what one could argue about that. Now, you were involved in um, commerce, you chartered accountancy, um, civil service, in, in business, and you, you moved from that into what we call third sector, now, I know that there's a really interesting story there. Tell us that story. Well, it's interesting because my wife says to me, she said, you know, you only move when God absolutely takes you by the scruff of the neck and moves you when kicking and screaming. And that was really what happened uh, with my move from business. I'd been in business, uh, working in business. I actually worked with my brother for about uh, 15 years. And it got to the point where the business to be honest, wasn't doing very well, and we were struggling a bit with it. Uh, but anyway, I was coming back for a, uh, for a meeting. I'd been down in North Berry, coming back for a meeting, going around uh, the, the Edinburgh Bypass, coming on to the M8 just at Hermiston Gate. And I was doing probably about 70 miles an hour uh, in the outside lane, might have been doing a wee bit more. Um, and suddenly there was this black thing, uh, it just came from nowhere. And what it was, was it was a Mitsubishi 4x4, uh, they call it the Mitsubishi Warrior, and it came over the barrier and landed right on top of my car. Wow, that was a big thing to hit you, yeah. It was a big thing to hit me. And I came round in the wreckage. And it's funny because I, I was able just to kind of move slightly. 
And there was just this scene of total mayhem, bits and pieces of car and debris everywhere. And this car was literally impacted right into the front of my car. And it was upside down. And there's there's a guy, there was a chap sitting in it with a seatbelt on. He had a shirt and tie on. He was upside down. And people are shouting, get them out, get them out. And I said, it's too late, he's dead. And this chap was literally, I could have just about reached him if I'd been able to just move slightly forward. And I remember praying and thinking, this is awful, Lord, you know, what's happening? Um, and I was very aware that I thought this man will have children probably and kind of praying for him and just praying as I was I was stuck in this, this car. And um, I, I looked around and I could see everyone was going like this. And they're on their phones and they're going like that. And it was really strange. And someone came up to the side of me in the wreckage. And I remember saying to them, um, because people were shouting, watch out, it's going to go up. And I had a fire extinguisher under the seat of the, the front seat. And I tried to pass it out the, the window. And I said, if it goes up, could you please use this? And at that, the whole car flashed into flames. And fortunately, both vehicles were diesel. And so the flash just went and it just stopped. It didn't actually then turn into a fireball. And they got me out. And I remember lying, coming in and out of consciousness in the, the ambulance. And I thought, Lord, is this it? Am I dying? And I remember very strongly feeling, there wasn't any feeling of me. It was a feeling for my daughter. My daughter was about nine at the time. And I thought, please don't let me die for her sake because I don't want her to be left on her own without a father at this stage. And I was quite agitated as well because I was saying, you know, uh, to the, the ambulance staff, what about my wife? What about my daughter? They weren't in the car, but I wasn't, I didn't know if they were, they'd been in the car. And they were trying to reassure me saying, no, 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 they're not in the car. But I do remember praying, uh, Lord, you know, just please spare me uh, so that I can bring up my daughter. And uh, took me to hospital and lo and behold, I had no serious injuries. Um, the... I had whiplash in my neck and I had a twisted leg and that was it. And they kept me in for uh, 48 hours because they couldn't believe that I wasn't seriously injured because I should be dead. And in fact, I was lying in bed and the policeman came up to me and he came up and the first thing he did was he rubbed my arm. I sort of looked at him and he said, I just want some of your luck. He said, I've been uh, a traffic policeman for 30 33 years. He said, I'm due to retire next month. He said, when we arrived, he said, I've never seen uh, an accident like this, this head-on collision at such such impact. And we came up and said, double fatality. And uh, when you survived it, and look at you, 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 you know, you've basically, you're, you're unharmed. And he said, it's a miracle. And I said, well, I believe it is. I said, I believe that God has spared me for a purpose. Uh, I said, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God has, has spared me. And he was like, wow, you are the luckiest man in Scotland. He said, make sure you buy a lottery ticket tonight, because he said, with your kind of luck, he said, you're going to win it. And so I, which I thought was, it was quite humorous with, with hindsight. But yeah, I was, I was very, very fortunate to survive it. I came out of hospital, and um, I came back home, and I said to my wife, I said, I don't want to go back to work. And she said, what do you mean you don't want to go back to work? And I said, I really want to, I feel God has spared me for something. I feel he's spared me for a, a greater purpose, for something new. 
And she said, well, what do you want to do? And at that time, I'd been spending a lot of my time uh, working with young people and supporting youth work. And as many of your listeners will know, uh, Murdo Murchison, who unfortunately died uh, a few years ago now, but I was working with Murdo uh, in our spare time trying to set up uh, basically Christian youth workers in Stirling, in the churches in Stirling that didn't have them. And I suppose it comes back to my point about Duncan Strathdee, because what I had seen was the impact of someone who of deep faith, uh, who was young and a good role model. And what I wanted to do was replicate that. And so we've been working on that, trying to, to see if we could uh, set that up. And we've been fundraising and we'd actually been successful and we'd actually got uh, one youth worker in place in Sterling. And I wanted to do more of that kind of thing. I wanted to work with young people. And I said, well, I want to work with young people. And I said, you know, maybe because I'm a chartered accountant, maybe I could be a finance director and maybe a charity, something like that, uh, for young people. And I said, you know, there's a good one in Stirling, which uh, obviously I live in Bridge of Allen, so it's only four miles away. I said, someone like Amber Lauer Childcare Trust, where they work with young people from you know, really disadvantaged backgrounds and help them. And so my wife said to me, well, are you going to drop your CV in? And I said, no. And she said, do you know any of them? I said, no. And that was on a Tuesday, and on the Friday, on the front page of the Herald appointment section, it was Finance Director, Aberlour Childcare Trust. Incredible. Incredible. And my wife said to me, I think God's saying something to you, Kenneth, apply for that job because I really feel you're going to get it. And it was, it was the only job I applied for. And lo and behold, I got it. And uh, I started work very quickly. And uh, what I did was, I, as I was saying, I worked with my brother and I said to him, look, I want to go and do this. So um, off I went to do that. And um, I remember just before doing that, uh, that what happened was that we actually had to sign part of the business into administration. And so I was up in the lawyer's office and I was sitting there and he said to me, what are you going to do, Kenneth? Now, uh, I said, oh, I'm, I'm leaving. I said, after my accident, I was there in my crutches. And uh, I said, I'm leaving and I'm wanting to go and work in a charity. And he said, what do you think you'd do? I said, well, maybe one day I could be chief executive of a charity. You know, I've got ambition to try and help people and help particularly young people. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. And uh, anyway, went off and worked in Aberlour and I worked there for three years. And then um, one of the funders of the of Aberlour is uh, the Robertson Trust. So I said, well, can I, I thought this would be great. Let's go and see if I can apply for that. So I applied for the chief executive's job at the Robertson Trust. And I got that job and started work there. And they were based in a small office um, just off uh, Bath Street in, uh, in Glasgow, uh, further up at uh, Berkeley Street. And they said to me when I joined, well, we're looking for bigger offices, and, um, but we haven't been able to find anything. So I said, well, would you give me a month and I'll see what we can come up with? Uh, because they said, well, we've got a lease that we could sign on this office. And I'd had a look at it and it didn't look good at all. And I said, well, I think we could come up with something better. So anyway, went and had a look. And lo and behold, the office that um, I had signed uh, the business into administration three years before uh, was up for sale. And uh, we bought it as the Robertson Trust and turned it into our offices, but also into a charity hub 
where we supported other charities to come in and share space with us because we only needed about 2,000 square feet and this building was uh, 16,000 square feet. So lots of extra space. So it ended up we had 40 charities in there. We had a cafe, we had a meeting space, conference centre, and it was just great. It really worked It's a real resurrection story because, you know, you have the, the, the dying seed of one enterprise yes. and the growing seed of, yes. of a new yes. one. Yeah. And that, 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 that was tremendous. Well, let's, I mean, our time is somewhat limited. I want Sorry, to I beg your you. I'm talking too Sorry? much. I'm talking too much. No, I could listen to you all day, but uh, we've only got a 40-minute window here and I've so much to talk about. You, I, one of the things about, you know, Premier, and you've spoken about your involvement there, one of the things that they've been involved in, and I mean, we spoke recently, a few months ago, to, uh, what was the guy called, Paul? Paul Caminetti. Paul Caminetti, that's right. And Paul spoke a little bit about the Immerse programme. I know that, in fact, you, you, I, I only need to mention Immerse, and it's like Pavlov's dogs. You, you are immediately on there, and you can go on about it for two hours. <laughs> Indeed. Very briefly, can you just explain what Immerse is and tell us just maybe one or two stories about your involvement with it? Yes, yes. Immerse comes out of the desire for... Uh, for, for Biblica, it was Biblica, the, the Bible printing company, the publisher, for people to read the Bible. And they said, well, how can we try and get people to read the Bible and to read it together? Because when we look back to the Old Testament, uh, particularly the New Testament, um, how did people read the Bible? And they read it together. And they would have read it not in chapters and verses, but they would read the text and so what they did was they produced uh, the, the Bible without chapters, without verses, and in the order in which it actually flows together into themes. And that resulted in the Bible effectively becoming six books and six stories then that uh, it has been split into effectively. And obviously the most important one is called Messiah. And it so happens I have one here. Wow. And... Uh, it's that's the New Testament, uh, but it's ordered in a completely different way. So it starts with Luke, and then it goes on to Acts, and then it does Paul's letters, and then it does Mark and Mark's letters, uh, and with Peter, and that kind of thing. So a very different approach. And the other thing about it is that, as I was saying, it's got no chapters and no verses because, as you know, these were much later additions that were put into the text. And actually what it does is it splits up into, if you like, a daily reading and you read for five days out of seven. And uh, then you come back into your group at the, uh, on the seventh day and you discuss it. Like so it's would. like a book club. It's a book club. It's a Bible book club. And you come, you come back and you talk about what have you learned, what has struck you about, um, about God, how might it impact your life, and it has been totally profound uh, because I thought I want to do one of these myself. And so I lead the house group. Uh, I lead a house group in uh, Stone Free Church and Ian McCaskill, minister, very kindly allowed me to trial this. And um, I have never used anything as good as this. Right. It has been profound in terms of just how it has enriched the Christians, but also it has been really interesting in uh 
attracting people who have come have come with no church background. Uh, a really interesting story on that was uh, my wife, who is uh, just an amazing evangelist in her life. She just talks to people about God and about Jesus. And uh, anyway, a woman in, in the village, and she was talking to her, and this woman had said, you know, no church background. I would really love to read the Bible. She said, my mother read it to me as a child, and she said, I remember that very fondly. But I look at the Bible and I can't really think how to start this. Do I start right at the beginning and just work my way through, whatever? And my wife said, well, come into this group that we're about to start, yeah. she said, and see do what you, you do, think. Do you do it through Zoom or is it in person? In person, in person. So there's eight of us meet once a week. And uh, anyway, this, this lady came along, no church background whatsoever, and took the book. And on the second week, she said, this, this is just fabulous. She said, I'm just, I, I can't help, I can't stop reading. I'm reading way ahead. And she said, how did I become a Christian? Wow. And just amazing, just such a blessing, you know, to be able to tell her about how to become a Christian and for her to, to take that step. And she has been on fire. Every week that she comes back, she's got these great questions. Uh, she's saying, oh, you know, well, now what about, she said, no, it says in this bit, it says in Luke about this, but it says in Matthew about that. How do you reconcile it? She's yeah. just bringing it all together. And that's what this does. It gives you that different view of the Bible. And I think, you know, coming through church, we are so used to thinking in terms of chapters and verses and really diving almost into the detail. And suddenly this is really about the big stories of the Bible and about the big themes, and about God's purpose. And of course, the purpose is Messiah. And everything leads towards that. And so you start with Messiah, you start with the New Testament, and then you go back and then you look at beginnings, as it's called. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you look at that then uh, as the next book. And what it does is you end up reading, uh, so we read the New Testament in eight weeks and discussed that in house in, in the, the, the book club in eight weeks. And the, the Christians who were there said, some of them actually said, well, to be honest, I've never read the whole of the New Testament before. And they said, this has been really, really changing to them. But it's been interesting because some of them, particularly the ones who have got a long kind of Christian backstory, have said, actually, that's quite difficult to start with because they're used to chapters and verses. And they found that committing to maybe 20 pages of reading per day over the week uh, was quite a lot. And uh, but then what happened was as they got into it and as they got particularly into the, the discussions uh, once a week, it really started to become something that was very meaningful to them. And uh, several of them said this is the best thing they've ever done in church, which I'm really humbled to hear. You know, this is the best thing that is ever they've ever done. And it isn't just the book because there's a website and on the website there's a little video and that sets you up for the week. So we always uh, watch that before we start discussing the week and we watch the next weeks at the end of, of our, our, our book club. Plus also what has been really helpful is that each day there is an audio uh, file that you can uh, basically listen to of the readings of that day. So quite a lot of them have enjoyed, like they will with your podcast, in the car or when they're doing their ironing or when they're doing different things. It means that they can actually listen to the Bible being read to them uh, for that day's reading. And quite a lot of what they've done is the people in the group, they've read 
and they've listened and they combine the two and maybe listening first and then reading has helped in terms of just getting the, the, the bigger picture out of it. But it has been really, really powerful. And uh, as we're coming to the end of it, I said to them, uh, right, okay, we're coming to the end of the New Testament. We've done our, our eight weeks. What do you want to do next? Do you want to, to focus on one of the books that we've read and we kind of go into more depth? And unanimously, they all said, no, we want to read the whole Bible. We want to take this now and go right through the Bible. And we want to actually have read it. And I kind of thought, oh, right, this is going to be quite different. We started uh, with Genesis and uh, we've, we've read Genesis. We're, we're just about finishing Exodus. And uh, people are saying, this is fantastic. Love right. it. Really love it because I see the big picture. I see the stories. I can follow through the stories like the Joseph story and how you read that in a sense as a oneer. That is just fantastic reading that. Great. So that's that's uh, that's emerged. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're excited. I'm, I'm catching the vision holder up again, so as our folk can see it. It's uh, for our, our listeners. It's a very colourful book, and I think it's in, uh, that one's called Messiah. It's called Immerse. Again, if you if you Google, uh, what would be what would you Google done um, to get it? Uh, it's uh, immersebible.com. Okay, immersebible.com. Uh, and uh, the, the thing is that uh, Premier have got the, the rights uh, now to, to distribute to in uh, the UK to the churches. So you can buy it on Amazon, but I would suggest, if at all possible, don't, because it's going to Mr Bezos. Whereas if you buy it from uh, Premier, then it obviously helps Premier's work on oh. that. So if, if I can make that small advertisement. That, that that that's not a problem. We we are still talking to Premier in spite of uh, cancelling one of my good friends, Mr. Robertson. But that's that's uh, that's another story for another. Another day. story. Uh, okay, let me go back. I just want to talk about a couple of things before we we break off. As you were growing up as a Christian, a student, young business, what has been the most effective mission tools that you've either used or witnessed? And then I'm going to talk to you just a wee bit about philanthropy, Christian philanthropy. Yeah. I come back to that one-to-one. -one. I come back to that um, ability to have a deep relationship, that that the, the importance of the one good adult or the one good individual. Um, I think that's so powerful. I think human beings, we are wired to have relationship. And, and in a sense, I think the human relationships are a paler, a reflection of God's relationship with us because that's what he wants with us, is that relationship. And I think that evangelism, when it works really well, is when it's someone that's able to, to really kind of come alongside and you actually share life rather than just give you some few, a few words or a tract or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's linking with stuff we spoke about with a guy called Dan Strange, um, a couple of podcasts back called Making Faith Magnetic. Okay, time's flying on. I'm, I mean, I'm really interested in Christian philanthropy. I mean, you've worked with a number of kind of, you know, high-value individuals uh, over the course of your life. Uh, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in the USA, and I noticed, for example, that there's a bigger culture of philanthropy in the US, Christian philanthropy, than there is in Scotland uh, or the UK. Why is that? Is, is it is it the tax system or is there a bigger context? I think with philanthropy generally in America it's because of the tax system 
and it's part of the culture as well. So they don't see government uh, providing a lot of the things that we expect in that um, social pact we have with government here. I mean, a good example of that is the NHS. Obviously, it doesn't exist. The, the concept doesn't exist in America. But we have that social pact, I think, in the UK where we think we pay our taxes and we expect government uh, to actually deliver a lot of these things. In America, that's not the case, as is well known. And I think that uh, as a result of that, I think that there's an expectation that you give more and that you will help. And as you earn, you give back. And of course, that comes very much from uh, a scriptural uh, background. I think the tax system certainly encourages that, where you get 100% write-off of anything you give to charity. I mean, we get effectively 40% if we're ta uh, high-rate taxpayers, or basic-rate taxpayers, we get uh, the 25%. So is that the US equivalent of, of gift aid? Or are you saying it's in the US it's 100% write-off? It, well, what happens there is a different system in that all the benefit comes back to you as the giver. Here, the benefit goes to the charity. So your tax that you've paid goes to the charity under gift aid. But in America, you get tax relief. So if I earn £20,000 in a year and I give £10,000 to, uh, to, to charity, I get a £10,000 tax relief wow. on that. So it's a really, really attractive way. To, to give. So yes, there's a real encouragement and people keep very close tabs of what they've given so they can claim it back, obviously, from the IRS. So I, I think that's part of the, the, the difference, but I do think there's a cultural difference as well, which, which magnifies that. Well, what advice would you give to a church or an organisation that comes to a funder? Um, what sort of things do you as funders uh, look for in a good application? What we look for is passion. Uh, what we look for is people, uh, people that we can invest in, uh, people that we think will deliver. So it's not about fancy words. It's actually about saying this is what's on our hearts. This is what we, we've, a, we've maybe had experience of and this is what we're going to do. And it's a lot of the time it's about actually looking someone in the eye and thinking, yeah, this person is the real deal. This is the, the, the kind of person that will actually you know, deliver on it. So the worst applications we see are the copy and paste ones. And believe it or not, we get quite a lot of them. And you get it where they don't even, they haven't even changed the name of uh, who they're applying to. So you get the wrong name on it, you know, you're like, oh, don't do this. And a lot of the time we say to them, look, come speak to us about it. Tell us what's on your heart. Tell us what you want to do and how you're going to do it. And that's really the kind, that's a good application when we get that. And where there's a clear idea around the need, around the idea about how they're actually going to work it out and how the organization's going to, to actually deliver that. Uh, we call it NISO. So it's the need, the idea, the strategy and uh, the organization. So those I are love the acronyms. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Kenneth, as we draw to a conclusion, the last few years for you have been, shall we say, turbulent. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been high public profile. You essentially you've been made unemployed. You you banned employment. You you know you've been you've been bashed about a bit. What what have you learned spiritually? over the last five years in your life? Can you give us some headlines? I think I've learned that God is faithful and that God is unchanging. Um, I look back, one of the verses which has been incredibly precious to me has uh, been from Second Chronicles, 
uh, chapter uh, chapter 20 and verses 15 to 17. And this is Jehoshaphat facing a huge army. And God says to him, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine. And that's one of the great truths I've learned, that actually it's not up to us. Our God is great. Our God will, will be there in the battle. It is his battle. And all we have to do, like it says, in, as he says to Jehoshaphat, stand and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. And that has been the challenge to me, that I've, God has said to me, stand, just stand. That's all I need to do is stand. And that's, the, I think, the big lesson that I've learned in, in, this, in these difficult times has been to stand. I don't need to do anything. I don't have to be clever. I don't have to try and go on the offensive. I don't have to try and do down people when they're doing me down. I just have to stand. And I just have to say, my God, is this is his battle and I will leave him to it. Kenneth, thank you so much. That is quite a wonderful way to conclude. Um, again, to our listeners, thank you so much for hanging on in there and listening to Kenneth's story. And I would just encourage all of us to test God and see and know that he is faithful. Folks, thank you for listening to this Generation podcast. Those of you who are watching, for watching, tell other people about it, spread the message, and hopefully we'll give you some more great podcasts with some good content from Mission from a Scottish uh, perspective. Thank you, and thank you, Kenneth. Thank you.